You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 533 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is now Tuesday as I record this intro, but I recorded this episode with Coles Wicker on Monday evening. It's a two-parter, so if you missed episode one of this two-parts collection, it was episode 532 of the podcast, which which went up on Monday evening and a Tuesday morning. And this, this podcast that you're about to listen to is going to be covering the NBA draft. Part one was about Atlanta's young core featuring Trey Young, John Collins, Kevin Herter, and others. But this one is almost exclusively about the draft, so uh, sort of buckle up and prepare for that. Cole was one of the best in the business when covering the NBA NBA draft, so uh, about a full hour of draft takes here. There'll be plenty more on the draft, of course, but after this, probably no podcast until after Friday's game. And the Hawks have a back-to-back on Friday and Saturday, so be uh, patient with me as I, as I get through the uh, four-day uh, All-Star break and all that fun stuff, but I want to give you this this long podcast, so buckle up, and uh, here is Cole's Wicker. All right, Cole, we're back. It's part two. If you missed part one, we talked about the Atlanta Hawks' young core Headlined by Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and John Collins. But it's time to talk about um, your bread and butter, which is the NBA draft. And this class is a mess. Let's just start there, Cole. This, this class is a mess. Yeah, welcome to the club, dude. Uh, <laughs> we haven't <laughs> done rankings on our site yet because we don't know what to do. It's like we put Zion at one, and then there's like a whole tier drop off. So we have Zion tier one. We have nobody in tier two. And then tier three could be like eight or nine guys. <laughs> and we have no idea how to order two. them. Because we don't, we don't. Because we don't even agree with tier three guys like about the order, so that's why we haven't done ranks. It's uh, it's definitely a mess. I think that it's going to end up being better than we think, just because this tends to happen when you have a lot of wing size players. Some of them will develop at rates that we don't expect. But right now, it's pretty tough, man. Especially coming off last year, where it was like every night was incredible watching college, and all these prospects were super fun to watch. And this year's been kind of a drag. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your lack of rankings, but you you just you just explained that. So, I'm going to go ahead and bypass that topic altogether. It is <laughs> it's definitely a mess. I've been I'm asked to do mocks for dime and uh, I've done two or three and they're really not easy to do. Mocks are even harder because you're also trying to pair your semi big board with teams and it's kind of a mess and it's not really for any reason other than just to entertain people because obviously a mock draft with the draft order nowhere close to being ready is not the most productive exercise but it's fun for me at least um and by fun i mean mind numbing because it's really tough to do right now um okay you mentioned quickly let's just let's just talk about zion at the top because zion is the one thing that i think most people if not almost everyone agrees on as sort of his own tier, you just you said that out loud, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you agree with me on that. I know I know you do, and hearing you other other places, but how much better is Zion? Everybody else in this class, and uh, just talk about Zion for a little bit because uh, he's fun to talk about. Yeah, I mean, he's better as far as floor and his ceiling. I think his ceiling is honestly the best player in the NBA. And then obviously some things have to go right for him, <laughs> mostly the jump shot. But you can at least envision him getting there, which is really exciting because those kind of prospects don't come around. What I like about him is he fills every single category you look for just from an overall vantage point. So you look at the athleticism. He's a 99th percentile functional athlete. This guy is, you know, 6'7", 280. And his run and jump athleticism is incredible. His nimbleness is fantastic. Like he's so agile laterally. He can give you this hop step move. And we've never seen anything like that move from a player that plays with this kind of speed to power force. Um, Defensively, he can lock in on the perimeter. He's got good agility. I think he's got to lose some weight to really get maximized on that end. But he is just an absolute riverboat gambler on defense. He's so fun to watch because he's like Ed Reed. If you're familiar, if people are familiar with football, like this guy is like the ultimate free safety. He will go after everything. His steal and block numbers this year are absolutely absurd. And he changes ends. I mean, he puts points on the board in transition alone just by changing defense to offense. So what I like about him, though, again, as I said, the functional athleticism, the skill level, underrated handle, has in and out dribbles at high speeds, can cross over all of that. And then he pairs that also with competitive fire. And he has these elite level instincts, too. So he has the entire package to where I think he's going to improve vastly in the league because he covers so many areas. And I just think he's a he's kind of a franchise changer to me, even if the shot doesn't come and become this dynamic trait like this guy plays hard all the time. And that's just something you don't see from players with his pedigree. Like he's always trying to win. He has this star personality. Like when you hear him speak. He, he sounds he always says the right things. He's very team oriented. He talks about team defense. I just think he's the total package as far as all of the things you look for in a prospect outside of the shooting, obviously. Yeah. And even then, the shooting might come around. There, there's there are reasons to believe that he could probably shoot down the line. But I, I, I totally agree with you. It's 
you know, people every once in a while, you'll find a rogue person that that drops the all he can do is dunk thing. And I, and I want to die right right then and there. It's like, <laughs> have you looked? Have you watched this guy for more than five minutes? I know he dunks the ball. I know he's sort of this weird package of physical size and explosion that no one's ever seen before because he's like 280. And I, I get why people say that if they've never seen him play before. But if you watch the guy for five minutes, he does everything. I mean, the shooting is the one thing that he's not already like good at in capital letters. But just look, look at his synergy page. I know a good friend of the program, Brian Schroeder, occasionally would just, would just tweet out his synergy page. And it's like, excellent, 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 very good, excellent, excellent, <laughs> excellent. It's like, guys, you don't just fall into that playing in the ACC. He's having the best college season statistically of anyone in like 20 years. It's insane. Like, he's really, really, really good at basketball. Yeah, and his BPM is like three points higher than Anthony Davis was. And I think Brandon Clark's actually number two now, surpassed Anthony Davis. So that's you, kind of your guy, Brandon Clark. The... I was going to ask. I was going to ask about him because that's coming. Oh, later. We'll, we'll definitely get there. I love Brandon Clark. That's your but, guy. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I really Zion, do... by the way, Zion's doing it. And Anthony Davis is the obvious one because he had incredible numbers too. But Zion's doing it as like a primary. Or you know, Davis was awesome in college, but he wasn't carrying the kind of load that Zion is either. Like it's it's wild. Different kinds of players because, I mean, Zion is like a part-time initiator. Like, he can't initiate the offense. He can be the ball handler in pick and roll. Like, th- that's his ball handling control. I mean, certain points in the playoffs, teams are going to scheme against that and try to take him away. Th- that's the next level, though. Right now, I mean, his handle is very functional in the half court. He's a very good passer, honestly. He has good feel for the game. Uh, th- that's what I love about him. It's like it's not just you're getting a run-and-jump athlete. You're getting a guy who knows how to play basketball. He wants to win. And that competitive fire, I think that's the difference between being a really, really good player and being a potentially – great and generational kind of player. Yeah, I mean, so real quickly, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but what's his floor? Because I think his floor is like very, very good starter, like the, at the worst case. Like, is there a floor be- below that or is or is it even higher than that? Or am I being too, am I trying to damp it down too much? Like what's, what's Zion's floor realistically? I always come into these conservatively and like undershoot them. With Zion, I'm not going to do that. I'm saying his <laughs> floor is like a top 40 player. I think he's going to walk on the court and be that good. Like it's just so many things he does and transition in the half court. He can operate as the screener and, and like play the Draymond role too. It depends on the personnel to get optimization, of course. But I think that he's going to walk on the floor and be a two-way threat. And he can score. So I think the, the closest parallel of recent history is probably Ben Simmons. And Zion just blows him out of the water as a scorer. He's way more explosive. He's way more aggressive as a scorer around the rim. Not as good as a passer as Simmons because Simmons has more of that point forward. I think Zion's to that, almost to that level, but not quite to that elite level playmaking. But that's the kind of guy I think. It's, he's going to create defensive events for sure. He's going to be a good defensive player. So when you start with that and the guy who can really put points on the board, I don't like doing the whole production thing. Like he's going to walk in and average like 16 and 12 or 20 and 10. I don't really care about that. I just think from an impact standpoint, he's going to be like a top 40 to 50 player at his floor. And that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's kind of speaks for itself. Honestly, it's if that's your floor, <laughs> then you're already a very, very ridiculous prospect. Um, you know, the shooting is what it is. But, you know, I, I think I, I in fact, I know part of the skepticism, if there is skepticism, is that we just haven't seen someone like him before. Just the physical size. Do you worry about him being so big? Like I mean, I, it seems it seems simplistic, but do you worry at all about just this the, the the sheer physical size and the does he need to lose twenty pounds? Is it a situation where like I've heard people say that I've heard people say that he's fine. Like, do you worry about injury carrying that much weight? Like, is there any concern that you have with his physical profile? Because obviously he's a freak, but how much of a freak can you afford to be? I guess at the NBA level. Yeah, I try not to go outside my lines too much as far as the medical stuff. But what I will say is the amount of force that he puts on his knees when he jumps and like the impact there. You can notice it. You notice it even in AAU, he had a couple blocks where he would literally go up and like almost shatter the backboard and he would fall directly down on his back. And it was like, OK, you can't play like that. Don't do that ever again. You're your number one pick, like you're you're the franchise, man. So I worry a little bit there. And I think that he would do well to lose some weight. But as far as the specifics, unless I saw the medical report and obviously converse with people to know what they're talking about, I, that is an issue, though, with NBA guys. I've heard that and Sam Bassini has that concern as far as they want to see the medical and have that information long term. So it absolutely could be an issue. But right now, I'm not treating it as one. That makes sense. And Sam's a smart guy. He talks to people. So Sam knows things. And uh, by the way, Cole does a lot of stuff with Sam. So listen to the Game Theory podcast. There you go. That's an, that's an, orga- <laughs> that, that's an organic plug. Um, okay, so Zion out of the way, you know, the Hawks are going to have like a 10% chance to get him. And if they get him, it's a pretty easy decision. If they don't get him, if they're not picking number one, let's talk about the next tier because 
you know, Hawks fans know that they're probably going to have two picks in the top, you know, 11 or 12. They could certainly get unlucky and Dallas could jump into the top four, et cetera. But I think the most likely scenario is two picks in the top 12. And that makes uh, for a lot of interesting, interesting discussions. So what do your tiers look like? I know you kind of mentioned that you don't have them, but if I, <laughs> if I made you, if I made you try to nail some down, like what happens if the Hawks are picking like, you know, five and nine or five and 10 in this draft? Like <laughs> how do they approach this? Because I know it's impossible to figure this stuff out, but there's a bunch of wings and fours, um, maybe, maybe three fours. Cause I think you can kind of cross off jaw and Romeo. I'm not Romeo Langford. Um, Darius Garland. Darius Garland. Sorry, yeah. I blanked. Uh, John Darius Garland because the Hawks just can't take those guys. Am I wrong about this? For me, it's like almost no. a do not do not draft. You can't just you just no. can't do it. You can't. So okay, take those guys away. Um, and Zion will say is unavailable for this. What, what's this what's this next tier look like if you're the Hawks and you have to draft guys? I know you. I, I know you've said before the it's sort of a trade down thing. Do you still believe that for everyone, or where are you with this class? Yeah, that's my primary thing I've been saying on podcasts is if you don't get one, try to trade for one. And that was, I was going to bring up that option, having two top 10 picks, having some ancillary pieces. If let's say the Bulls get number one and they have Wendell and they have Lowry at their four or five, I would be calling them every second of the day to try to get one and dealing both of these picks and dealing and I whatever, don't know, else. Prince, whatever <laughs> you need to trade. I think that's the move in this class for one. So I'll put it there as far as general tiers. I'll, I'll get some context as far as last draft. So last draft, I had Luca in tier one. Zion would be in that tier. Tier two, I had Jaron Jackson, and I had Trey Young fringe in tier two. I wanted to, but I couldn't quite get there, but then I went back and put him there. <laughs> so so I would have them two clearly ahead of anybody else in this class. So Trey Young would be the second best player in this class to me. Take, take a next step off. We have probably six or seven guys, and my advice in that situation would be trade back and try, and try to get more picks, get more bites of the apple in the future. You have guys like R.J. Barrett. Everybody's going to have R.J. top three, top four, very conservatively. I think R.J. and John Morant will be the second and third picks likely in the draft at this point, just with how Cam is kind of disappointed in his role. Nasir Little hasn't found his way. So I would say if you get two, if you get three, I would try to move back because I think you can get Jarrett Culver at eight or nine, and I think he can be every bit as as good as R.J. or better. I don't think there's a lot of value drafting in the top five this year, unless you get one. Yeah, one is kind of its own thing. Um, so we'll just we'll just assume that, that they don't have one in this scenario. But I, yeah, I tend to agree. And you know, there's the whole there's the old saying, or maybe not so old saying, that you can never have too many wings. That I definitely subscribe to. So uh, you know, I think the Hawks could certainly take two wing size players in the top ten, and it would be totally fine. I know they have Kevin Herter. I know they had Torian Prince. If they're the two best players on the board, you just take the two best players on the board and not worry about yep. it. Um, you know, what do you think of RJ? I think there there are some people that have RJ, maybe not his own tier, but like kind of in his own tier as like a, a clear number two or maybe a clear two or three. I'm a little lower on RJ um, in a vacuum. I think I, I'm probably even lower on him in general for the Hawks because I, I don't really love that fit alongside what they have already with Trey. Um, but what do you think about RJ in general? Because I think he's the one guy that you occasionally hear sort of nearing Zion's tier for some people. I'm not in that um, line of thinking, but what do you think about RJ in general? Yeah, that actually, that person's actually Morant now, strangely enough. Oh, people really? kind of reversed on RJ. Like, RJ is still very solidly in the top three, but we even see some Morant above Zion in some sites and some oh, places. So, How? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I like John Morant a lot, by the way, but not, not, not that much. <laughs> Yeah, his hype has been ridiculous. I mean, his numbers are incredible this year. He's averaging 24 and 10, and I, that's never been done in college. Like, you don't average a double-double and an assist. But, yeah, we, we can get to that because that's not really pertinent to the Hawks. Like, I think with Ja, what's important there, let's say the Hawks get three and Morant's on the board. That's a trade awesome trade-down candidate. Yep. Yes. So that, that would be where it would come in relevant. You can't play Ja Morant and Trey Young together. It's not going to happen. So we can just write that off. But RJ... Very interesting prospect <laughs> because I always felt like he was kind of overrated and I, I didn't like him earlier in the season. His decision making just drives you mad. He'll drive into three guys in the lane and he won't pass out. He'll just try to take these floater attempts. I think his athleticism is overrated. I was expecting more wiggle as far as stride length. He's got pretty tight hips, so you can't really see him dip that easily. But when he drives, he, he's just kind of a bully ball, man. He, he's a power game completely. He runs through college guys with ease because he's so physical. I, I haven't seen the lateral explosion there, you know, getting to the rim and stuff in, in high quantities. 
he can pass, though. That's the thing that's really frustrating about him, as we saw that in the last game. His best game of the season just happened against NC State. He had a triple-double, and he was making great reads and pick-and-roll. He was playing unselfishly. He was coming off pin-down curls and like hitting that over-the-top pass. He had a couple nice drop-offs. So you see that ability on that end. You're like, why can't you play like that? And that's why I think the Hawks is so fascinating, because I like RJ much more as a wing. I like him as like a pure wing instead of a ball handler, because he's not that shifty. But if you put him in a situation where he's shooting off the catch and he's attacking closeouts, I think he destroys in that role like he's going to eat that up because he can get to the rim in one dribble and he's really physical around the basket especially in straight lines but I don't know if he wants to play that way I don't know how scalable his game is because if he wants to come into the, the NBA and just dominate the ball like he's not going to do that on the Hawks like Trey, he's not going to get the ball over Trey so what is his role really so that, that's kind of where I have reservations his defense has not been good this year that's one thing I will say is every other of the elite uh, Duke prospects Zion Trey and Cam have all been pretty good defensively, in my opinion. And RJ has been the weak link of that group. So, again, for the Hawks, fit-wise, I don't know if he's going to be the answer to that bigger, small forward type. But I do like the appeal of him at the, at the three because I think he kind of forces other teams to play a bigger wing. And like a team like Sacramento, pre-Harrison Barnes didn't have that. And he'll kind of eat those smaller guys up. But at the end of the day, if you look at him from like a usage to efficiency standpoint, he hasn't really been that efficient of a scorer in college. A lot of it's volume, and he has record numbers. I mean, he's putting up crazy scoring stats for a freshman. But the eye test doesn't really necessarily support the stat page for me. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, I guess it's it's a tough evaluation, and I don't envy I don't envy uh, NBA NBA Andrew Manners because of the fact that they have to figure out what he wants to be. Because I think it was uh, even on this podcast, I, a good friend of the program, Tower Jones, mentioned this to me that like if you squinted and told me RJ decides he wants to fit in, he makes sense in Atlanta because of what you said. Like, if he's just a pure three, you know, attacking and doing kind of secondary things, and he plays defense, that's the, that's the other big question is if that guy has to play defense too because he's not going to be a good enough shooter necessarily to do everything that you want him to do, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's kind of about what he wants to be, which you just don't know unless you talk to him. And even if you do talk to him, maybe he doesn't necessarily fit in that way. Like, maybe he just has to be an on-ball guy. And he'll put up numbers, but it doesn't work in Atlanta. And I don't know. It's a tough eval because he's always been the number one guy in the class or close to it. Like, there were a lot of people, like, I mean, even against Zion, like, he was more of a big deal to a lot of people as a high school player than Zion. Zion was the YouTube guy um, because of all the dunks. But RJ was considered as a better prospect for a lot of people until they arrived at Duke. And his numbers look good. If you look at his just counting stats, what, 23, 7, and 6? Like, that's pretty impressive in the ACC but then you see he's not efficient he's not playing great defense how does it all work I don't know I mean this is why I ask you Cole but uh, I think we're kind of in the same spot <laughs> where it's a kind of, it's kind of tough to figure out what, he, what he's going to be and what he wants to be he's wired like an alpha yep. but I'm not sure if he has the talent level to be an alpha that's and a great, he great way a, to put it he gets a lot of Wiggins comparisons and I think it's the absolute opposite of Wiggins I think Wiggins doesn't have any alpha oh in that him. bothers me have, so much there's no way he would ever get that comparison if he wasn't Canadian that's the only reason yeah. why that happens <laughs> And it bothers me so I, much. I think some of it is like empty stats. They think that RJ is going to be yeah, this kind of volume that. score, but like not personality as far as, at all. <laughs> no, not a me- not mental approach. It's the exact opposite. RJ might think he's the guy and that can be dangerous too, because if you're not good enough and you are, let's say you're Kobe Bryant without the ability and he's not nearly the athlete that Kobe Bryant is or this or is skilled. I mean, that's not even in the same range of outcomes. Like if you're that kind of guy, how well do you really fit in a team construct? But I do want to be patient with him again. He just had that triple double game. If he starts really facilitating and playing and fitting into the scheme better, um, I'm gonna, I might move on him a little bit. I'm just more concerned, honestly. I don't know if he can be the kind of score that people think he can be. I just don't think he's that athletic as far as his wiggle, his handle. He's shown more pull-up ability from the mid-range, but I don't see any of the high-level stuff. Like some, like ESPN, some of those guys think it's like Harden 2.0 because the lazy left no. comparisons. Please go watch James Harden at Arizona State. Watch his shooting. Watch his ball handling. Watch the shiftiness, all of that. So... He's just not quite the player that a lot of people describe him as. And that's kind of, honestly, as we work through these guys, that's the consistent theme of this draft is a lot of guys were billed as guys they're not. Yeah, I tend to agree with all of that. And I mean, you see a guy averaging 23 points a game at Duke and you just assume it's going to translate. But the way that he scores, I'm not sure works perfectly. Like he's, I don't think yeah. he's going to just bust necessarily. But oh no, I, I, I just think that there's a scenario where he's just kind of a guy, which isn't you know what you want <laughs> necessarily um, if you're drafting if you're drafting RJ and he's not going to fit in a role if if he if you want him if you're drafting him with with the vision of him being a primary guy it's got to work 
um, in a big way, and I'm not sure it's going to work in a big way. So yeah, that's exactly right. And I think like some some guys comparing him to DeRozan, I think that makes some sense. I think DeRozan yeah. even has more wiggle than him, and RJ has shown has shown much more perimeter shooting ability. DeRozan's a better in athlete college. too. I agree. At least he was and. And I think he's RJ to me is more like Harrison Barnes with actual feel like Harrison Barnes that can pass out and like actually pass it all like that to me is like the kind of athlete that he is a little bit stiff. Um, he can be a power dunker, but not that agile, um, but better feel. So I, he's a better prospect to me for sure. But again, if you're going to draft this guy in the top two or three, you're probably going to have to max him out because he's going to produce. He's going to put up numbers. I think he's safe to that. Like, I don't see how he busts from a production standpoint but again how does he contribute to winning i think that's the biggest question for sure uh, okay that's probably enough on rj for now then there's this there's this whole group of guys um and i think people have their preferences but it's you know jared culver and deandre hunter and you know <laughs> romeo lankford and Keldon johnson and there's, there's all these players that are all going to be hawks considerations because of where the hawks are in their projected draft um they're, they're guys that i prefer do you have a favorite guy? I know, I know, like nailing you down to rankings is not what I'm trying to do here. But do, do you have a favorite in that kind of group of, I guess you know, second or third tier players that are going to be available when the Hawks pick? Say, if the Hawks hold steady at number five, where where where, where, where they're supposed to be in the draft, and you have all these guys to choose from on the board, maybe maybe not all of them, but most of those guys to choose from. Do you have a favorite of that group, uh, both Hawks wise and in a vacuum? I think he fits for both. Just my gut right now, based on what I've seen, I haven't done all the stats, but just literally via my eye test, I think I just trust Culver the most. I, he's the smartest guy to me, and I usually bet on intelligence in the draft. I mean, now at least, uh, the instincts, and I think the rate of improvement that is assembly, associated with those guys, that's what I've noticed the most in prospects. If you have that kind of general feel, and, and Culver has that more than anybody in this range, like he can play pick and roll, he can make you know advanced reads, he's got anticipation as a passer, um, he's very smart defensively. He's on one of the best defensive teams in the country, um, can switch. He's not like a premier wing stopper. He's not quite like a DeAndre Hunter, even though Hunter's like a pseudo stopper. We can get to him briefly. But Culver, the main thing with him is his shooting has just absolutely gone off a cliff in conference play. And I tend to devalue that. I don't like looking at shooting samples in like really small samples because they can be so high variance. But his mechanics aren't great. Like it's not a very fluid process, but it's important to keep in mind with him that he overhauled them. Like he worked on them this summer and they're different now. He's made improvements. He's a really hard worker. Uh, so he had a shot line on his left. He used to bring it across, kind of whip it across his face. And I was like, absolutely not. I, mean, I can't get involved with this guy. It's just I can't do the Lonzo thing again. And it's worse than Lonzo. And he improved it now. So it's like at least it's functional. He can shoot baskets off the dribble. Not a hyper athlete. Um, if you get a chance, watch the Duke game with him. I think that that gives you a nice sample. He had to settle a lot because he couldn't beat guys one on one. But his handles underrated. And he has agility that like, someone like RJ doesn't have. So right now, I just like him. He could be Ben Rubin, the right to the step in, wrote about this on our site. He could be six eight. Like he's he's listed at six five. He's definitely not six five. He's at least six no. seven. But, but he could grow to like six nine even. So that's like a bigger wing type who can play make. And I think if he can shoot, he follows that paradigm of dribble pass shoot uh, that the Hawks are trying to build. Yeah, and I, I, I like his defensive tools. Okay, like I think he's gonna be fine on that end of the floor. Maybe a little bit better than that. And that that would be a nice archetype. I'm, I'm a big fan of Culver. I've always liked him. Um, you know, I think him. He got off that red hot start this year, and I think jumped into a lot of people's minds as a top ten guy. And uh, I think that's just justified. The shooting is the is the sticking point because if he's not going to be a high level shooter, um, he's still a good prospect, but it's not quite the same prospect. So that's kind of the question that you're asking. I don't think it's going to be like he's a bad shooter though. That's the thing. Like there are guys who are real shooting questions. Like this is a bad example, but because I'm a Michigan fan, Charles Matthews is a bad shooter. Um, <laughs> Jerry Culver is not a bad shooter, but the difference between just being an okay shooter and a good NBA shooter is a big difference on a wing prospect in the top 10. Like that, that's a big gap. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's, the, that's the issue with him. I, I like him much more like eight or nine again, than I do like three or four. I don't think the value's there. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause like, it's like Cole, eventually someone's gonna have to go at four in this, in this draft. Someone has to be drafted <laughs> with the fourth pick. And I'm not Hope sure. It's that not me, is. man. I know. I know. I'm, I'm kind of with you because just, you know, especially if you follow these last two drafts or so, and we, people will probably get tired of us saying this kind of stuff, but this is just such a worse class and it's tough to do value as a result of that. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you that I like Culver a lot. Um, I wanted to ask you about Cam Reddish and we'll get to Hunter in a second. I know you just wrote like the magnum opus about um, DeAndre Hunter, <laughs> um, but let's, let's go to Cam next. Cam is someone I still buy. But I think I'm like increasingly alone. Maybe not alone, but I'm increasingly on a uh, on a limb with Reddish. I think I, 
with a gun to my head, if I am the Hawks and I have to take the number, you know, two, three, four pick, I might take Cam, which is, I wouldn't like it. But if you just tell me that you have to draft someone and you're the Hawks, I think that's probably where I'd land. And I'm, I'm uh, maybe you think I'm crazy, but what do you think about Reddish, especially with a team like Atlanta where he would not have to be a primary offensive option at any point? Yeah, I think your head's in the right place for sure. Like, I've gone back and forth on him. I've never gotten as low as some people have. Like, he's still in my top five if I had to make a top five today. So I just don't quite trust the playmaking. But again, in the right role, if he's more of an ancillary piece. Like, again, this is someone who's billed as the next T-Mac coming into this year. If you watch him athletically, <laughs> it's not even in the same galaxy as no. T-Mac. Like, that's his biggest problem is athleticism. Like, he's I long, though. Been, he's really long. He's He's really long, and he his motor has been better than advertised like pre-college. I think he's tried really hard. His, his off-ball defense is actually pretty damn good. Like His length is in the passing lanes. He kind of reminds some people of some iteration of Covington. Probably not that good. Uh, not a switch guy, though, really. He, like, he struggles with some better athletes, and that's the constant theme with him is I just don't think he's a great athlete. He can switch, but like if you're talking about the best wing defenders in, in, the, in the league and being that kind of guy who just guards primary options every night, I'm not quite sure if that's him. It comes down to the shooting, though, and he should shoot. Like If he was a great shooter, like you said, I would be in on him. He'd probably yep. be my number two guy in this class if he was a great shooter. But he's gotten great looks this year, and he has not been that efficient. And this is the kind of role that I imagined for him at the next level. It wasn't like this primary creator. Like He's getting great looks. He's playing off the ball, running off screens, getting open spot-ups. He's missing everything. I mean, 34%, I think, last time I checked. So it's not terrible, but for those looks, if he's an elite shooter, I want him more in like the 40s, like the Especially lower 40s college, at least. College, college three-point line. 34% is not uh, exactly not exactly right and I think like the finishing is two point percentage last time I checked was like 38% and he's shooting like 36% from the field overall somehow and that would be the lowest in the lottery I, I know DX had this stat or something recently but it's obscene his That's inefficiency bad. this yeah. year it's really bad so like I don't know what really what to do with him but he's starting to throw more playmaking I think in the role that you suggested he could thrive but I also don't think they're like there's like a high ceiling there. You're just looking for the shooting. If the shooting's great, you get a you get a good pick in this draft. If the shooting's not great. I don't know what you have. Yeah, the argument there um, against Radish, I suppose. You know, he's still young. That helps being a one and done, like and a pretty young one. That's not like he's not old. He's got a lot of room to grow there. But I'm with you on the skepticism in certain areas. I think I've liked his defense more than I thought I was going to. As you kind of mentioned, he's really good off the ball and has has some really nice defensive traits without being a hyper athlete because he is so long. But I mean, you could pretty much, you could pretty easily make an argument that like, if you're looking for that kind of supporting piece in reddish, why not just take DeAndre Hunter um, who might be safer in a lot of ways. And is probably a better defender prospects. I know I mean, he's definitely a better defender right now, but prospect wise, I think might be even better defender. I know Hunter is older, but I, I, without, without spoiling your massive uh, 7,000, I think you said it was 7,000 <laughs> words, something, something crazy like that on, on, on Hunter. I mean, do you see that as an? Op- I mean, they're not like perfect comparisons, but if you're gonna draft them like, as like these like hybrid three four role playing defensive minded guys, Hunter might be better than that. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of what you want, and this is what makes the argument so fascinating. Is like I don't think that Hunter's feel is as good as Cam Reddish's feel. Like Hunter's feel, he's actually pretty slow processing on both sides of the floor. Like he's not a great team defender. Um, he's late to recover on certain actions. Offense, it takes him a second to read the floor, but that's not really going to be his role at the next level. I think that offensively, he's going to be mostly off ball. He can post up in the mid post on mismatches. He can shoot over the top, so he gives you some self-creation equity. Um, but it's it's not all there for him as far as field level. But defensively, this is where the kind of contrast is. I, th- I think Cam Reddish is more of like a potential Otto Porter, Covington type of off ball defender, where they're very good in the passing lanes and they're very good in the regular season. But when you get to the right matchups in the playoffs, can they hang with the Paul George athletically? Can they hang with the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown? We saw Covington really struggle with those guys last year in the playoffs. And that's how I kind of see Cam Reddish. And with Hunter, he's the best switch defender in the class to me on the wing. Like he can switch between two to three positions pretty easily. He's got incredible defensive technique. I don't care what his age is. You don't see guys in college that can slide like he can, that are so reactive on the ball, that are so disciplined. He almost never fouls. He's got great length. He has that 7'2 wingspan. He's 6'8 to 6'9. He's got a strong frame. It's not crazy. He gets bullied by some bigger players, but like the wing types, like if you go against Paul George, you're like, go guard that guy for 30 minutes. I, I think he's the guy in this class that can do that. Yeah, and I love Hunter. I always have. Um, you know, I was kind of disappointed that he didn't leave after last year. I know why he didn't, and I think it's going to benefit him uh, in terms of just draft placement. I think he's going to go higher this year than he, w- that he would have gone last year. I like yep. I like him a lot. 
Um, and I think, you know, Hawks fans have already accused me of kind of being in the tank for Hunter. And I probably am. Um, but he would, if you're, if you're constructing the perfect draft, um, for the Hawks that does not include Zion, I think for me, it's going to include Hunter with one, with one of those two picks. I just like him a lot, especially for what the Hawks need. The Hawks need someone like him. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't have to yes. be, it doesn't have to be Hunter, but he just fits so well with, with what they already have that I understand the lack of upside argument for him, especially offensively, but they just have to have some glue guy pieces at some point, and he would be such a good fit there. And I will say also, if they got Zion in that event, I actually like Hunter a lot with Zion. Oh yeah, I like Hunter. At the, totally, agree. I like Hunter at the three because like he's more of a four offensively in terms of skill. But you're getting that advanced skill with Zion at the four, so I think that fit would actually be really nice. And you just play Collins at the five. I, I don't really care at that juncture. Like you're going to be uber athletic, and that's going to be impossible to guard. So I think that's a really awesome option. I've been saying throughout oh. the process that I, if if whoever has two picks, I like that Zion plus Hunter stack. Yeah, now I'm now that I'm thinking, I've tried not to think about too much about like what Zion looks like with the Hawks, just because it's not <laughs> likely. But if you told me that you get Zion, yeah, I mean Hunter, like Zion at one and Hunter at like seven, eight, whew, that'd be fun. That'll uh, do. Yeah, so I, I'm probably gonna dream about that for the rest of uh, this week. So, so thanks for that, Cole. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, it's Hunter's an interesting prospect, and uh, I think fans are like predisposed to not be excited about DeAndre Hunter. So I totally get that. Like I know for a fact that anytime the Hawks get mocked with Hunter, like in May, when it when it when it comes down to it, like half the comments will be how, about how boring this is and how much it's not fun. And I totally get that, but he's also a good player. So, um, who have we not talked about? Oh, a couple of a couple of other guys who are in this range, according to some people at least. Um, I want to get your quick feelings on. There's Nas Little, who's been all over the place this year because of his weird role at UNC. There's Kelton Johnson and uh, Romeo Langford, and Langford is the one where, just fit wise, man, it'd be a mess in Atlanta, I think. But um, do you like do you like any of those guys? Any any of those three guys? They're like I guess frequently mocked lottery pick wings that might um, land in Atlanta at some point. I mean, again, we have to look at the deficiencies. I loved Nasir Little coming into the season. Like, he was one of my favorite guys in the class and then found out that he doesn't really know how to play basketball. And I don't want to be harsh, but, like, he has a long ways to go. So it's going to take a development system that really cultivates him over time. Maybe in time he can be something like a less athletic version of Jalen Brown, but maybe a better shooting version, which is a very good player. But I just don't know what to do because he's behind the development curve. And it's a very poor sample at UNC coming off the bench in that role. He's been behind all year as far as the mental game and I think he's not the same caliber of athlete that he was as high school in high school like in the all-star circuit I thought he was more lean he was cut and he was moving better on the perimeter he's gotten beat a lot in space this year and that's his appeal to me he's kind of like DeAndre Hunter but a better athlete but not nearly as good technically in space like if he was that kind of switch defender I would be more in on him but he isn't right now so for me it's like Maybe with your second pick with the Hawks, if you're like, let's take the upside. I just don't know how much real realistic upside there is with a player that just doesn't really know how to play right now naturally. Langford, he's pretty easy. It's like if you can fix the shooting mechanics, <laughs> yep. I think I think you get uh, a starting caliber player. Like his athleticism is pretty overrated. Like he doesn't have pretty much any burst, but his skill level is underrated. Like he's got a pretty good handle. He doesn't create a lot of separation, but the control is fantastic. Underrated passer, even you can run some pick and roll. But that the, sh- the shot for him, man, it's just he keels his wrist back. It's not consistent. He has some horrible misses that you're just like, there's no way this guy's gonna ever be like a dynamic shooter, even though he has great touch. But that's the thing is like, can you? fix those mechanics and the Hawks have a good history of this. I mean, I, some of that might've been Budenholzer, but they have a good history of developing that. So if you can, and he's a six, six wing with a six ten wingspan that can shoot. And his defense is okay. Like he, he can survive in the playoffs. I don't know if he's the kind of switch defender you're looking for at the three, but it comes down to the shooting. I don't, I don't know if you have any feelings on that, but it's very, very frustrating. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree that he's a uh, guy. You have to sell yourself on the shooting. My other thing, in addition, that's the big thing. But in addition to that, I'm not sure he's an off-ball player. Like, if you're the Hawks and you have your on-ball guy already, like, you know, Langford's just been such an on-ball guy everywhere he's ever been, including in Indiana, where he, by the way, Indiana's a mess. Um, But, yeah, I just, I mean, part of that might be the fact that he hasn't been able to shoot, so he's kind of had to have the ball in his hands to be effective, but if you just, even if, even if you projected some growth for his jump shot, he kind of needs the ball, and I'm not sure the Hawks are the best fit for him just because he's not going to have the ball 
very often. I don't know. It's just that's too that's too simplified in a way to describe it. But I, I just don't love him in a situation where he isn't going to be primary. But I'm also saying that I'm not sure he's going to, have to be a primary option. So he's someone who could. I mean, bust again is the wrong word, but I, I'm not sure about Langford. He's a really weird prospect. I kind of like the archetype of him, and he makes some sense. I think I under, I agree with you. He, he is kind of skilled, and he's not he's not an unwilling passer. But if he can't shoot, man. Um, I don't know how that works at the NBA level. Like maybe if you just make him into a second unit guy where he kind of runs your second unit from the wing and does, I mean, he's, he's physically, he's physical defensively, et cetera. So I think it might work out as a, as a pure supporting piece, but in the top 10, that wouldn't be great. And that's where he's mocked regularly. I mean, I think the most recent ESPN had him at like five and I was like, Oh man, I, I just can't see that. I just can't do it. Yeah, I can't either at that stage, and I very much agree with you. I think he's more of an off-ball guy. I think he's going to have to – if he's going to be in a, a high-ceiling upside player, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to come via his shooting and his shot-making. So something like uh, Chris Middleton or something like that, I don't think he's an on-ball guy. I do like the feel in certain respects, but that's more than like an off-ball role. I just yeah, like guys it. who can bring – Yes, exactly. So I like guys that, that that get it but can also play off the ball. But it all comes down to the shooting. Like if he can't shoot, none of the package is that valuable because he's not he's not athletic enough. Like he he moves. He has that hunch in his stance and he kind of moves like OG, but he's nowhere near as athletic. So it's very, very weird to see. I think Keldon was the last guy you mentioned. Yeah, this is really fascinating just because the primary <laughs> swing, the, the swing skill for me coming into the year was his movement shooting. And I think that's been his best skill. And I've questioned everything else once he's gotten into play at Kentucky, which is crazy. Like I, like his defense has left a lot to be desired. He's one of those guys where you talk about it looks like he's hustling all the time, but it's not really effective. I think that applies to him. Like he's not a dynamic athlete. He's not great laterally. He gets beat a lot, but he just tries really hard. And then offensively, his decision making has been bad. His passing has been bad. His slashing hasn't been good just because of the athleticism. He has to settle for floaters a lot of the time. But he has touched. I think he's going to shoot on catch and shoots. That was his primary weakness coming in. I'm actually pretty sold in his shot, at least being respectable. It's just every other element of the game. We're talking about a wing who's more six five and a half than a true like six six or six seven, and that makes a difference. Like he looks a little bit smaller compared to some of these other wings in the class, and I think that's going to make a difference as far as defensively. Yeah, and especially when you already have Kevin Herter, like who probably is even more of a two. I mean, yep. sometimes it's not necessarily sometimes it doesn't matter all that much, two versus three, but at the end of the day, when you're playing against the physical best wings in the league, you're gonna need a three sized player. And if you have Kelton Johnson and Kevin Herter, you're in some trouble in that way. So that's like a nitpicky thing. Like if you really liked him, you just take him anyway. But it's uh I kind of agree with you that he would probably be blast. I mean, maybe Lankford fit wise, if you just don't buy the jump shot, would be behind Kelton. But other than that, I, I would I would certainly have Reddish, I would have Culver, I have Hunter kind of solidly ahead of that of, of those two guys. And Little is like the wild card. I'm not really sure what to make of Little still. I still kind of believe but like the notion that he's going to be a top five pick anymore is kind of out the window for me unless something weird happens. Maybe like in the tournament, they like Roy just finally lets him play, and maybe that will open some doors for <laughs> Nas. But I think he's probably more like a back end of the top ten, maybe you know eleven through twelve kind of guy. I don't know. You really got to be comfortable with the interview, and he's going to interview really well. He's a great kid. I'm really pulling for him, and I hate myself for being lower on him, but just based on the sample that I've seen in college, it's, it's just really hard to buy into that guy right now. I, I just think he's years away from having any kind of impact, and that's if he ever gets it. But he is really smart. He's intelligent. If you hear him talk, he's he's a great kid. Yeah, I like him. From everything I know, I haven't, I've never met him, but I, you know, I've heard the same things that you've heard. Um I wanted to ask you about. I promise I'm not going to ask you about every single guy in the draft. But um, two, <laughs> okay, two more things briefly on the lottery side of things. There's a pair of interesting um, forward prospects that I've seen some people get really excited about recently that I'm not as excited about, and that's Rui, who is very difficult evaluation. Rui Hachimura from Gonzaga, and Casey Opala. Those are the two guys that I've seen some people have in like the top seven, and I kind of like gets get weirded out by that. Um, Either one of those guys or both or neither jump into that top 10 conversation for you? Neither. For me, yeah. personally, I'm not going to have him in the top 10. I think that KZ is getting pushed up because people think he's what DeAndre Hunter is, and he's not as far as defensively. Like Hunter can literally guard the ball and can contain and contest. KZ is, you know, 6'8, six, 6'9 six, with the ability to dribble, but he's not a dynamic switch defender as far as containing guys consistently. He's not that caliber of athlete. His handle functionally works like he can make passes from a standstill not a good on the move passer and he lacks a certain amount of athleticism you know attacking the rim I think his feel level overall just isn't that high so I'm a little lower on him and then Rui 
Oh God, um, Rui. <laughs> I know. He's, I know this is coming. By the way, I just teed you up. <laughs> he's improved this year. I will give him that. Like he is passing a little bit better. His defensive rotations are a little bit better. But the field just is generally just not there enough for me to buy. I think he's more of a big than he is like this bigger playmaking wing type. He's more of like a four five, probably even a small ball five. Right now with his lack of, I mean, he can really take you off the dribble in a straight line. But it's more bigs that he does that too. Got a great frame. I believe in the shot from mid-range. Like he hits pull-ups there. He can make some difficult shots. I'm, I'm a little more wary on extending to three, and I think he absolutely has to shoot threes if he's going to have value, and I don't know if he's going to get there. It's just the feel. Like The other day, I, I was watching a game, and he took uh, like a left drive, just drove right into the secondary defender. Like If he puts his head up, if there's an easy pass out to the corner. Norvell, it was like an easy passing lane, and he just runs right through this guy for a charge. And I think that kind of just personifies his offensive game. And then defense, he's just messed up too much. I mean, like the end of 10, a C game, he didn't get out in the pick and pop. Like you can just point to so many things defensively he doesn't do well. And for Biggs, again, I look at defense first unless you're a special offensive player, and I just don't see that for Ray. Yeah, I think we're pretty close. I mean, you might be uh, even a little bit lower than I am on Rui, which is <laughs> says, says enough. But yeah, I wouldn't take either one of those guys with, with a lottery pick. Uh, last lottery thing: is there a is there a true big that you would take in the lottery this year? Full There's stop. one. Uh, true big one yes true there's a second big i'm not sure if he's a true true like five but john porter's the other guy yeah i mean i was gonna those are kind of the two that i would at least consider i wrote a little bit about hayes in my mock draft this week as he'd be my number one um in terms of if i had to pick a center and then of course i mocked him at like 13 so it's not like i'm like really super (laughs) enthused about jackson hayes i can sort of see it but it's just Part of that is just the, where the league is going, but part of that is just that I'm not super over the moon. Like, I mean, where do you see Hayes? Is, is Hayes like a top 10 guy for you or more like a top 15 guy? I think he's a top 10 guy in this class. I'm just kind of enamored with the upside as far as not like the high, high level upside, but I think he could be like the non-physical version of Steven Adams as for his okay. build. I think he's going to be he's going to be huge. And we talked about the need of putting defensive players on Atlanta. The thing I don't like about him, though, is like he he does, he hasn't shown the ability to shoot yet. He, I mean, shooting like eighty percent from the line in conference play, like he has touch, but mechanically, it's just nowhere near I don't where think you'd he's want even it. Attempted a three this year, if I, if I read that right, I don't think he's even taken one. Yeah, his his role is very very simple. He basically yeah. screens and runs to the rim, no matter what's there. He gets chipped, he gets hedged, like it doesn't matter. He just does the same thing basically every time. That's why you don't see a lot of the passing. Um, if you want to watch him in a more like space situation, watch the Oklahoma State game where he was where the way they trapped the ball handler in pick and roll. So Hayes was actually getting the ball in like short rolls and like dribbling and passing and stuff. And it just shows his coordination a lot. Like he's a freaky coordinated athlete, someone who had a late growth spurt. He was like six, six in high school basketball player transfer or football player. Sorry. He's a tight end and then transferred to basketball and he's a late bloomer, but he has pretty good instincts. He's not broken. He's a bad rebounder though. That's the thing is like he, that he's one of those under the line rebounders where I don't love rebounding as a stat, but he's like way worse than Jaron Jackson is. So Which that's is the problem good. with him. It's <laughs> not all. good for contacts. And that's like, that's like Jaron's need- one weakness, and that doesn't yeah that doesn't work out very well. And that's the yeah that's the one thing he really needs to bring to along with interior defense. But he makes great rotations, and he's the one guy in this class with legit center size and length. And I, again, I think he's going to be two sixty, so he's going to be big and he can move like a guard like he his movement skills are absolutely freaky so if you buy the upside you buy the coordination i get it like the second hawks pick i think that's my favorite spot for him in the draft just because i need a center long term and i think that he does provide ample upside on that return some guys have him like two three i wouldn't even like fuss about that frankly like in this class like if you think you can get to that point where he's like an above average starter i'm in on it but it's going to be a little bit of a progression there yeah, I uh, I agree with all that. I think he's the most intriguing of the group. I mean, John, I, I do like Jonte. I like him less so in Atlanta, just because I don't think yes. he, he and John Collins would not work defensively at all. Um, but I do like Jonte Porter, just in a vacuum. Like, I think he's a top 15 guy for me, probably. They, um, they work offensively. <laughs> oh, yeah, it'd be, fun, it'd be fun on offense. There's no question about that. They, they, they would just never stop anybody, ever. But that's okay. I mean, maybe if you're just trying to... Sell some tickets and be fun. That would be uh, that'd be okay. <laughs> I still buy Jonte though. Oh, I have to ask you about Bull Bull because Bull Bull is someone who I always get asked about from Hawks fans. And I guess also Bruno Fernando is like joining this group too. A lot of Hawks fans are seeing him rocketing up some boards and getting really excited because there's this whole group that just is obsessed with having someone to pair with John Collins. Bull Bull <laughs> is um, falling, at least from where he was. There were people that had him in the top five before the year, which I never really saw. But um, he's terrible on defense. Is that accurate? Because I I think he's absolutely terrible on defense, at least right now. 
yeah, I mean, that's the sample we have in college. And they only played a couple games, but the space defense, like changing directions on closeouts, the effort level at times. I mean, he actually allowed somebody to pin him inside, didn't re- didn't even have any resistance on him. And I think the guy ended up like either dunking or just laying it in. I don't think he even tried to contest it. And this is someone right in front of him. So for me, it's just an injury thing. I mean, that's the obvious thing here is like the foot injuries for bigs and, and a big built like him, really high hips, super narrow build. I mean, I've watched every minute of his play this year and he's keeled over a lot. Like he gets hit in the lower body and he just kind of bends over and falls down. It's like, how is this guy going to guard Steven Adams? Like he's going to literally pick he's him not. up and throw him out of the arena. Yeah, it's like it's bad. And I get the offensive skill level is ridiculous. Like this guy can in and out you and pull up on the on the bounce. He's got incredible touch, like even better touch than Aiton. But what's the cost? Like for the Hawks, again, if you want defense, you same need thing. defense. Yeah. It's the same thing. He, you could certainly talk him, talk me into him with certain teams, but the Hawks are not one of them. Um, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me with uh, where they are with John already. Um Okay, I've asked you a ton about lottery guys. Um, the Hawks probably aren't going to pick um, below the lottery in the first round unless they have something weird happen, which could happen. They could take on money for a pick. They could trade back, etc. I know I know who your favorite player is in this range, so go ahead and leave with him if you want to. But if, is there someone besides Brandon Clark that you want to talk about? Go ahead and do that. But Brandon Clark is, I know, you're, uh, I think your guy in this class. Yeah, he's one of them. I mean, he's probably Ben Rubens guy. I think Ben has him number two on his board, like very Which is just insane in some ways, but it's also <laughs> fun. It's kind of funny. Like, I love Brandon Clark, and then I hear that, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but I'm okay yeah. with it. He's fun, man. He's just really good. I mean, if you're starving, if you're a draft analyst and you're watching all these games and you're starving for someone you love to watch, it's definitely Brandon Clark this year. Like, he's incredible. His instincts. It's like Jaron Jackson last year was like that guy where it's like defensively for a big. He just makes all the rotations. He's super bouncy. Like, he, he's kind of reminiscent. Him and John Collins aren't that similar. I mean, they, they are from like a finishing standpoint as far as bouncy athleticism. They're both really dynamic athletes. Clark has much better defensive instincts, but same issues with like the lack of length. So if you want to pair those two together long term, there might be some similar issues. And Clark has not shown the ability to shoot the ball. But I think that's also one of the biggest inefficiencies in the draft. Maybe not for Atlanta, but for in the draft in general, because like his touch is really good. It's really good on the move. Like he's been an incredible float uh, runner shooter this year. He finishes around the basket. He's got much more face up game. He can spin move you. He can take advantage of smaller wings. There's much more skill level that's there that it's not getting reported. And that's what I think is the reason you see him, you know, even in the 30s in this draft. And for me, he's like a no brainer top 10 guy. Like, there's no way he's getting outside of my top 10 because he's, like, that good at basketball. Like, if, if you project these freshmen moving forward, I, I know he's older at, like, what, he's going to be 22. How many of these freshmen do you think are going to be that good at 22? And I just don't think that many because nobody thinks the game like he does and has these kind of instincts. So maybe not on Atlanta, but if you get a late first, like, I'm all about BPA. If you can get another rotation player that can come off the bench and give you awesome minutes, like, do it. Yeah, I mean, defensively, he's fun. And it's a situation where... I don't know. I mean, if you're the Hawks, do you take him in? The, I mean, if, for instance, if you if the Dallas pick landed 13, I wouldn't be upset if, if they drafted him there. I mean, fans would freak out. I know that because they're, they're going to see him mocked in the 30s and they're going to say, wait, <laughs> what in the world just happened? But like every time I see him mocked in the 30s or even the 40s, I saw one in the 40s this week. I was like, are, are, are you watching basketball? Like, I don't understand how he's not a first round pick. Like, I, I totally get why he's not a lottery pick for some people. With the age yes. and all, with the age and his jump shot questions, but he's got to be a first round pick. Like I'm just, I w- I'll just be baffled if he's not a first round pick. I, I, just, I don't, I, I will not, it, that would not compute for me. Yeah, I, I'm surprised every year. Like I was surprised with Melton, but that again, he took a year off. Mitchell Robinson, of course, had the character stuff. But normally, when guys are this good, they don't, they just, they shouldn't fall to the second them. round. Yeah, I mean, you would think so eventually. I, I don't think he gets out of the 20s, but I agree. I, I don't think he goes lottery. I mean, that's a, that's a tough sell just with the age and stuff like that, and just the paradigm of what these guys usually draft for in the NBA. He doesn't have like the scoring upside. It's more defense, and that tends to be undervalued a little bit in the draft. It is, to be sure. I mean, I guess the last thing here before I let you go, the Hawks have, well, the Hawks are projected to have three picks in the second round that are probably all going to be like top 45. You know, last year's class, that would have been a lot more appetizing, but they do have them this year. Anybody that you like really like as a second round sleeper type that's like maybe, in, you know, maybe should go in the first, it probably isn't going to go in the first. I know, obviously, if Clark is there, you just take him and forget about it. But is there another guy or two that you like that might slip in the second round that Hawks fans could be excited about? I'm going to mention Grant Williams, even though he's another one of those guys where yeah, I think I like he should too. go late first. But there's a chance that he falls to the second just because he's a hybrid kind of four or five tweener big. 
but he's incredibly good. Like he's another one of those players that's having an all-time great college season. Incredibly smart. If you want to watch him, he just played against P.J. Washington against Kentucky, if that's on YouTube or anything. Um, Just really physical. One of the smartest players, one of the five smartest players in college basketball this year. I think his shooting is also underrated because he doesn't take a lot of threes, but he's another guy with incredible touch. And that's something I've tried to fix that on this year is getting those kind of guys. So I think he's more of a short roll guy. Like, if you needed him off the bench, he could run a pick and roll Trey Young. He's big enough to post up because he's awesome in the post. So if you trap Trey, he can take a dribble as well and like make an awesome read. So that would ha- be how he would fit on the Hawks. And I do think that in workouts, he's probably going to show teams that he can shoot. So I really like him. But again, I don't think he's going to be there. This guy's really interesting. Um, this guy's a lot higher on our board. He's probably going to be a lottery pick on our site. Um, not He's never, never going to go there. But Matisse Thibel from Washington. Oh, I love, Someone him. Who's I love just, him too. I'm in. Yeah, his, Someone that, with the defensive instincts that are just transcendent and the inefficiency as he plays in his zone. So it's going to get devalued. But his, I, I mean, I've watched a lot of him being from the area. He plays about 15 minutes from me. And this guy has incredible defensive instincts. And he's got better feet. He's got awesome feet, but they, they, they play in his zone. So you never see him contain guys and stuff like that. But his steal and block numbers this year are incredible. But the tape is honestly even more impressive. Like he, he makes rotations. His rotational awareness there is fantastic on that end. And then offensively, his feel is much better than he gets credit for. He, he's very, very allergic to the ball. So he passes it on almost every opportunity. It's, it's kind of maddening sometimes. But when he actually play make, like he, he shows some good readability. Like he'll make skip passes. He knows how to play. And his shooting is way underrated. Like even the stats are solid with him. Like it's not just a projection with the shot mechanics and stuff like that. So I like him. He's more ideally of like a 2-3 defender. But I think on the Hawks it could be workable because I do think there's more skill game. Like he has certain stints where he'll handle the ball and like keep it tight. And you're just like, I didn't know you could like perform like a double cross and then, you know, in traffic <laughs> and a pick and roll. He never does it because he's like he the ball handlers are David Crisp and then Jalen Noel. And he kind of just plays off the ball. But I, I think he's going to be an inefficiency. He can really guard. Yeah, I mean, the, the first time that Travis Slank drafts a defensive first player will be the next time he drafts <laughs> one. Um, but, yeah, I think at some point he's going to have to do something like that. And I think Tybal would be a uh, really good, smart investment in the second round. I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting. I think for my purposes – it's a weird draft because, you know, I have to cover the whole league to some degree, not quite to the depth that you do for a dime, but then the Hawks are basically going to be picking twice in the top 11 or so, and then not again until 35, 36, and it's like, all right, well, <laughs> there's a lot of guys in the middle there that probably won't be uh, guys that the Hawks can target realistically, like Daniel Gafford basically has no chance to go to the Hawks, just as an example, like guys who you just know are, are going to go bet- between like 17 and 30, like I mean, there's just a million guys that I just probably won't get to talk about. But alas, this is why we'll, we'll, we'll just have fun on podcasts, talk about them. But that was one that was one example I've got. I was like, okay, never gonna happen. But here you go. I'll say one more guy really quick because oh, yeah, um, I haven't watched a lot. Of t- I'm not. I haven't watched a lot of tape on him yet. Somebody that some of the guys on the site likes. Uh, Davidas Servitas, international six eight shooter. So this is kind of what Travis like might be gravitated towards because he's kind of like said six eight shooter. I was in. That's it. <laughs> uh, so apparently he's he's kind of like harder but less athletic so that's interesting but like he's sick he's legit six eight can shoot off motion and he's really high feel level and he can dribble so i, I think that that I, I gotta get to much more of the tape um i usually save internationals for after the call season to go over them intricately so that's someone to look out for he could go in the second round and i think he kind of fits the paradigm of what the hawks are looking for yeah i think the only international guy that i've watched um to a respectable degree so far is seku because i just have to yep. know him um, but I, I, I too, like you have to say that till the, at least something slows down in my life. I can't watch college and international <laughs> and NBA at the same time. Um, personally, this is the last thing I promise. I have to ask you about the two Michigan guys and that's Iggy and Charles Matthews. Cause I don't think that Jordan Poole is going to leave. Um, either one of those guys have a prayer getting in the top 35, 40 picks. I think so. I honestly think both have a prayer. Like Iggy, he shot the ball pretty well this year. Like from a advanced mechanic standpoint and like a polished standpoint, very polished. Always catches on the hop from three. Um, can attack closeouts. Very aggressive with catch and go situations. He's got a great frame, um, so he can be a maybe a non liability defensive way. I think that he gets exploded over the top of quite a bit with his lack of functional reach and bounce and stuff like that. But you can at least look at him and say this is not going to be a negative defensive player because he's a little bit better laterally than I thought he was. You know, obviously has that power dunking ability in space, but I really think he has a role as an off ball shooter slash scorer on closeouts. And then Matthews is. Absolutely. He's one of my favorite players in the country to watch defensively. I, I mean, his footwork is absolutely unreal. He's like his so agility. good on defense. It's a, he's a it's monster. Inc- 
he, he's so fun to watch. Like him, him in space, he had a couple of clips this year. I was like, how is this guy moving like this? It looks like he's on ice. Like it's, it's incredible. But uh, so I, I think I was going to get looks because people know he can defend. He, he's a dynamic switch defender. Like if we knew he could shoot the ball, like he'd probably be a top 10 guy for me. Like frankly, like just straight up. That, like, you're not, you're yeah, not wrong. I don't think like he, he really is that good <laughs> defense, but he's also that bad of a shooter. So it's like, oh yeah, there's just, what do you really buy in with his shot? Like there's no, there's nothing either on the tape or, I mean, his shot doesn't look bad, but the fact that it doesn't look bad and he misses all the time is, is troubling because that means it's more of a touch issue, which is what I think it is. Like, he doesn't have that much diversity as far as, I mean, he can hit pull-ups and you, hit the, you see the fadeaways, but just the catch and shoots, I don't know, man. It's just hard to gamble on guys like that, but I hope he gets drafted. I think he deserves to be drafted in the top 60. Yeah, you've got to... Um you got to find those situations like, you know, you mentioned Hawks University earlier under Bud. Like, I think a lot of that was Bud and Quinn, uh, Quinn Snyder was really good at this. And Kenny Atkinson, who are, of course, now all head coaches. But, like, Damari Carroll was, like, a complete and utter non-shooter when he got to Atlanta. Yeah. And, like, and that's what you kind of look at with someone like Charles Matthews. Like, it's never going to be a high percentage chance that this happens, but you're just hoping to get him in your system. Know, know that he has the defensive upside to just be a NBA player without the jump shot. And then you just like if you could unlock like a thirty six point three point shooter, he could become like a starter. Like that's how big the gap is. But he just has to make shots. He's just never done it. <laughs> and I totally don't expect him to make shots. But he's he's so good on defense that I think he could be an NBA player without it, which says a lot. Not 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 like a good NBA player, but like be on a roster because he because he, he he's just like maybe not Tony Allen good, but he's like capable of being like a elite wing defender. Yeah, I totally agree. I think by the end of the year, he might be on like my first round board even. I'd never take him there, but you know what I mean as far as just having a top like. No, I mean late first round. Like if you're if yeah. you're a team that like really trusts your development, like Brooklyn for instance, like they have a bunch of wings, but like they have Kenny Atkinson, they have this really impressive development, you know, setup. If you just really really buy into it, like San Antonio, same thing. They've had a lot of success with guys who can't shoot and making them shoot. If you just believe in your system that much maybe you give it a shot milwaukee bud's the same way like bud's got all those guys that he had in atlanta on his staff if you just find somebody that's like oh i see it we'll fix him i mean why not take him at like 29 it makes sense yeah i'm right there with you i think you summed it up well uh one guy we got to hit on just because i'm sure you're gonna get asked about it bruno fernando oh yeah um, i think but- i mentioned him earlier briefly but yeah he's someone who i i, I sort of casually mentioned him in my uh, nba draft sort of viewing guy this week and people got really upset with me that I mentioned that he could maybe slide to the end of the first round. Apparently people, <laughs> people do not like to hear that. I'm not, I think he's a first round pick. I, I, I'm not as high as I guess I'm, I, I found out in a harsh way that I'm not, I'm probably a little bit lower on him, I, I guess. You know what the funniest part about him is he literally reminds me of like a very homeless man's version of Aiton. Like he's like, the, oh, yeah. he's like the smaller version of Aiton. Like he's got, that. Uh, he's got underrated touch. He just doesn't have the same physical size. Like he can't dominate like Aiton can. He can't. He doesn't have that supernatural touch. Um, but he has underrated shooting ability. He, I think he's going to be able to space the floor eventually. He's got promising indicators. He's an underrated passer. Can, can actually make like skip pass reads out of the post. Um, he's very unselfish that way. So I like him there. I just don't know what the ultimate upside is because his defense. He moves pretty well in space, but he doesn't really get it. As far as like pick and roll coverage, he's not very alert. I think he got picked on a little bit by Michigan. I think it was Michigan. I remember where it was. But he, one of the matchups I just watched on TV, he was getting pick and popped a ton, and he was getting taken apart a little bit. Um, and the, the reactiveness hasn't really been there, even though it's improved as a rim protector. And that was Aiton's biggest thing is like he just didn't react on the interior. He didn't challenge shots all the time. I don't see as much from that from Fernando this year. Like last year, he was definitely that player. So there is some promise, and I'm with you on like later first round i think he's fine i just if i'm taking a big now in the lottery it's got to be there's got to be upside there's got to be like considerable upside and i'm not sure if i see that from him yeah i mean he's been really really good this year efficiency wise like i pulled up his numbers while you were talking a 30.3 per 69 percent from true shooting like he's been incredibly efficient and productive so i get why people are excited he's a little bit um maybe he's not that old but he's not a fresh he's not a he's not a one and done he was around last year i'm looking at his, his age now Bruno Fernando is 20. He'll be 21 in August, so he's not he's not old by any means. I don't know. He looks like he's just like sculpted out of like I don't know stone. He's a mon- <laughs> he's a monster physically, but yeah, we'll see. I, I I can see why people like him a lot. I think I've seen some mocks where he's going higher than I'd be excited excited to take him. Like I still personally would rather have you know Hayes for sure. Um, Jonte. I think I'd probably still have Gafford ahead of him. Maybe I'm crazy, but I think I think I still like Gafford more. I don't know. There's a few guys I think I would probably take ahead of him as like pure vibes. 
yeah, and I think Gafford is like the range I have him in is like kind of like twenties, and I'm fine with him. But I I just don't know how valuable those guys are in the modern game. Like if you need a big, get a big with considerable upside. Otherwise, just get one for cheap, and that's kind of how team building goes now. Yeah, I'm definitely devaluing um, pure centers for the most part. I think you have to think you have a d- difference maker, especially for the Hawks. Like maybe one of those guys slips to 35 when you're picking your second round pick, and you have like more of a low cost flyer on someone like that. There's probably going to be somebody if you just dead set on taking a center and you don't have one in, 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 the, in the lottery, there's probably going to be somebody that you kind of like at 35. Maybe it won't be somebody that's super exciting. In this class especially, sure. it's not a super deep class, but there's enough centers where one of them will probably fall to you. Agreed. All right, Cole. Well, I appreciate you taking uh, all this time to talk to me. Uh, we've went longer than I was expecting to, so please uh, forgive me <laughs> for that. Um, please plug yourself. Please plug anything you got going on, because I know people will uh, definitely be wanting to follow your work over the next, what, four months before draft time? There you go. Um, yeah, I think going long on podcasts is a trend that's definitely consistent with me on it. But this so, isn't as bad uh, as uh, Sam when you guys go like two and a half hours occasionally on oh, just like one team or whatever. Oh that, yeah, there was that, there was that, li- oh. that, li- that Lakers <laughs> prospect podcast was like legendary. It was like two forty of just you, you guys just like talking at three in the morning. It was it was very funny. See, when you talk about Lakers prospects, though, you have to put it in context, and that takes like 45 minutes. You don't get yelled <laughs> at. So that, that's the problem there. But uh, as usual, check out thestepian.com. I'm going to try to update rankings somehow in the next like three days over All-Star break. So we'll have some general tiers up there for people to look at, not just this watch list that we've had from preseason. We have articles mostly every day. I just wrote like a 40-minute read piece on DeAndre Hunter. So if you have a lot of spare time and you have some caffeine, you can check that out. Uh, we have again pieces coming down the line here from all the different prospects. We'll amp it up postseason because a lot of guys like to, to stay off writing until they have the full sample size and all the stats and everything. So we'll definitely amp that up uh, post draft. And Brad already mentioned, check out the Game Theory podcast with Sam Bassini. Uh, and that's all I got. That is my favorite dr- uh, draft listen. Just uh, candidly, and I'm not just saying that because Cole's on the podcast. I would say that to anyone. Um, I love <laughs> I love Sam. Sam's been on this podcast before. You've been on this podcast, obviously. So, lots of uh, content um, in the future. And please be following Cole. He's uh, one of the best in the business. So, thanks for uh, taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. We will talk very soon. By the way, I will definitely have to beg you to come back before the draft, if nothing else, because uh, a lot's going to change. I think between now and I don't know April. Yeah, I mean, when we find out the lottery, everything changes like automatically. Then it becomes to it, everything starts to come and make far more sense. Like if the Bulls get number one, that's like my ultimate goal. That'd be the best thing ever. Just to <laughs> unlock every single weird scenario imaginable. Uh, yeah. Oh yes. For sure. I think that's the team, man. <laughs> I can already see you uh, salivating over that one. But all right, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please follow Cole on his work, and we will see you guys later on in the week. <laughs>